I'm sure that uh, you have heard it said that faith is just a matter of personal opinion. It's simply one man or one woman's view against that of another. You have your view, I have mine. You stick with what you believe if you want to, and I'll stick with what I believe. And if we dig a little deeper, I think it's fair to say that there are a number of groups who hold to that position, you know, that faith is just a matter of opinion. First, there are those who basically use it, use that line as a cover for not wanting to engage with objective truth claims. They're happy with their own life choices and they don't wish to be bothered by those pesky people who would seek to make them through, think through the implications of their moral choices. And thus they simply dismiss the claims of Christianity or the claims of any religion for that matter with a, oh, that's just your opinion retort. But it's not exactly a well thought through response. It's more like of a, uh, almost like a reflex reaction. But then we have the skeptics who believe that it isn't possible to arrive at certainty on faith issues, especially when there is such a multiplicity of religions all competing for adherence. How likely is it, they'll say, that one religion possesses a monopoly of sort of truth? And how likely is it that one person, that you, have arrived at the right answers to life's great questions? Surely it's better that instead of exhibiting a sort of an ugly dogmatism, that we humbly admit that we cannot have certainty on such mysteries. To insist upon one version of truth is, they say, absolutist, imperialistic, even intellectual fascism. And then we meet those who claim that something cannot be true unless it feels true. It feels true to me, for me. By self-discovery, we know and live out what works for us. We possess our own truth, our own lived experience. I have discovered and accepted my authentic self, they'll say, and especially with regard to issues around sexual identity and gender. And this self-actualization leads me to reject the claims of traditional Christianity. You see, your truth is just not my truth. Your Christianity, your Bible doctrine, it just doesn't feel true for me. 
And should you seek to impose your truth on me, that would be to dehumanize me, for it would prevent my inner essence from flourishing. Your role is to affirm me, not criticize or challenge me, or try to change my outlook and lifestyle. And furthermore, it has become something of a modern day phenomenon. For those who were once conservative evangelicals, the likes of Josh Harris, Rob Bell, or although this one's a few years ago, the, I'm sure some of you will remember the, the former um, Olympic gold medalist, uh, the triple jumper, um, Jonathan Edwards, who, you know, was very public in the day about his evangelical conservative faith. It's become something of a phenomenon for those who were once in that position to deconstruct their faith. That is, they abandon their faith altogether or they adapt, or sorry, they adopt a sort of a softer so-called progressive Christianity which has actually got very, very little in common with historic Christian doctrine. Does this trend, does this trend towards uh, these former conservative evangelicals deconstruct, deconstructing their faith, does this not just prove that faith is ultimately a matter just of personal opinion? It's a worldview that can and often does change over a person's lifetime. How then are we, as believers in the historic Christian faith, how are we going to meet such an objection that it is just your truth? And how can we seek to transform such a roadblock into a signpost to genuine faith in Christ, which of course is the whole point of this um, series of talks, roadblock or signpost. And as always in this series, I'm going to first of all offer some points of defense before then trying to turn the objection on its head and encourage our opponents to consider and indeed embrace the Christian faith. So beginning with points of defense, what can we say to defend ourselves, our position? The first point is that Christianity is a faith, this is a very basic point, Christianity is a faith shared by a great many people. Christianity is the world's biggest religion, with well over 2 billion people worldwide owning some sort of allegiance to it. Now, of course, admittedly, the number of evangelical Bible-believing Christians is much smaller than that but we're still talking about a not inconsiderable number of followers. And from its outset, the growth of Christianity 
has been nothing but phenomenal. And whilst the number of professing Christians is declining in the West today, it continues to show impressive expansion in the majority world, the global South. So when people dismiss your Christian faith as merely your opinion, your version of truth, remember that you have a great many bedfellows who share your truth right across this world. We are not talking here about a small minority of people, you know, on a par with those who believe that the moon landings were faked or that the Holocaust didn't really happen. The second point is this. The Christian faith is based upon sound historical evidence. Sound historical evidence. Christianity is distinguished from other world religions in that it is intrinsically tied to history. Christianity is not rooted in fables and myths, but in historical fact. Jesus Christ, the very center, obviously, of the Christian faith, is not some legendary figure about which our history books are silent. And we don't even have to rely upon the Bible for attestation of Jesus' existence or his manner of death or the belief of his followers that he had risen from the dead. Secular and non-Christian, uh, um, uh, sorry, I'm confused, secular and non-Christian historians, they will, they'll allow us that. You know, all the top academics, the experts, all agree. But there might be one or two exceptions in our world today, and they're very much considered fringe. All of the top academics in the whole area of Bible scholarship all agree that Jesus actually lived, died, and whilst obviously they don't all accept that he rose from the dead, they will allow us that his followers genuinely believed that he had come back to life. And then we have the evidence of archaeology, which has supported the gospel narratives and the writings of the early Christian authors like Luke and Paul. Those who take the time to study the evidence find that the biblical authors were reliable eyewitnesses, or they were conversant with the eyewitnesses of Jesus' ministry and the events you know, surrounding his death and resurrection. And the manuscript evidence for the New Testament is way in excess of any other ancient writings. We have nearly 6,000 complete or partial manuscript copies in the Greek language alone. That is compared with about 10 copies of Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars. Whilst the time interval between the events themselves and the oldest surviving manuscript copies is minuscule for the New Testament 
compared with other ancient writings. It is less than 100 years for the Bible. It is 900 years for the literary works of Julius Caesar. So the critic who says that we cannot know anything for sure needs to contend with the vast swathe of historical evidence for the Christian faith. The reality is that the evidence for Jesus' existence is as good, if not better, than for any figure from ancient history. So if we can have confidence in what we know of Julius Caesar, for example, can we not have confidence in what we know of Jesus Christ? Number three, feelings. Feelings are a very poor basis for determining your beliefs. It is not an exaggeration to say that in today's postmodern relativistic culture, your innermost feelings have for many people become the ultimate guide to truth. If it feels right, it must be true, or at least true for me. And thus, if I am happy with my life choices, what anyone else has to say, I can discard. And that applies to external sources of authority like the Bible. I decide what is right for me. If it feels good, if it feels right, that's good enough for me. My internal feelings are my ultimate authority. But we all know that feelings can change. You know, you can be up today and down tomorrow. Today I like red meat. Tomorrow or next year I might have gone veggie or even, perish the thought, vegan. Feelings are just too volatile, too fluid to bear the weight of answering life's existential questions. And it needs to be said that feelings are a deficient guide for determining your sexual or gender identity. Deciding whether what the Bible has to say is true on matters like sin, judgment, and yes, identity needs to be based on something more than your feelings. It needs to be based on rationality. You need to reason with the evidence, with the facts, including the biological facts, not opt for what feels right or feels good in the moment or in a particular phase of your life's journey. Feelings should always take second place to objective truth. I might feel anger or hatred towards someone, but that does not necessarily make it right. Likewise, I might be attracted to another man's wife, but that does not condone adultery. There is a higher standard than my personal feelings and my subjective morality. Point number four, relative truth is really no truth at all. Postmodernism tells us either that 
absolute truth just doesn't exist. Or if it does, it, if it does exist, it's unknowable. We can't discover it. Therefore, it's impossible for us to be certain about reality. To which, of course, we might legitimately ask the critic, how do you know that? How can you be so sure that you're right in saying that there is no objective truth? After all, that's just your opinion. And also, when you think about it, to say that absolute truth either doesn't exist or that it is unknowable, what have you just done in saying that? You have made an absolute truth claim. You're saying that that is always and everywhere true. Thus, in fact, this statement is self-contradictory. It refutes itself. It defeats itself on its own terms. Now, you might think, that's just is this not just some sort of harmless philosophical debate which really ought not to concern us, especially on a, a Sunday evening. But it is actually serious. For if that deficient thinking isn't challenged, it will lead to the false conclusion that we each possess our own truth. Live your truth. I don't know how many of you have heard that. Live your truth. That has become a celebrated idiom of our age, but it is a lie. It's a lie. Jeff had three books with him in the morning. I've only got one. This is a book called Live Your Truth and Other Lies. It's by the Christian author Alyssa Childers. Alyssa Childers was the lead singer in a Christian Band. I think it was a, a, a female band called Zoe or something like that in America. And once her sort of singing career had sort of died down and she had become, she had, you know, she was married, she had, you know, ha- had young children. And she started to go along to um, a church which had a very, very progressive pastor. And this pastor started to question and encourage her to question every fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith. And it caused Alyssa Childers to have a real crisis of faith. But rather than abandon her faith altogether, she started as just like a mum, she started to investigate the claims of Christianity for herself. She is now a fantastic apologist. I cannot recommend this lady's work highly enough. She has written, uh, this is her second book. Her first book is called Another Gospel, and it is an exposure of progressive Christianity. And or, you know, you can tell from the title of her book, Another Gospel. It is a false gospel. So that's her second book. She is presently writing another one, which is all about deconstruction, the whole deconstruction 
thing where people are abandoning their faith uh, in America. So I heartily recommend that. It's not a difficult read either. But it is so important that none of us swallow the lie that all truth is, is subjective. Truth is objective. Truth is singular, not plural. There isn't your truth and my truth. There is simply the truth. You don't create truth. Truth lies outside of yourself and is there waiting to be discovered. A truthful statement is one that lines up with reality. A false statement is one that doesn't square with the facts. Absolute truth does exist. Contradictory statements cannot both be true. If you and I hold to opposing positions, then no, we cannot both be right. Thus, Christianity is either true or it is false. Jesus either died for sinners or he didn't die for sinners. Jesus either rose bodily from the dead or he didn't rise bodily from the dead. What Jesus said about the coming day of judgment is either true or it is false. It isn't true for me, but not for you. It's either true for both of us or it's untrue for both of us. The point is, you cannot dismiss the absolute truth claims of Christianity and indeed of Jesus himself by appealing to some notion of relative truth. True for me, but not true for you is to all intents and purposes a contradiction in terms. And finally, in this defense, in this section on defense, I want to just say a, a brief word about those who have deconstructed their faith. Now, obviously, there can be many factors behind a person's decision to recant of their, you know, their former beliefs, among them sadly being experiences of suffering, maybe it's dashed expectations, maybe it's marital breakdown, and, and so on. But the fact that someone turns their back on the historic Christian faith, no matter how popular or influential that individual may be, does not invalidate the historic Christian faith. Indeed, Jesus warned that there would be those who would commit apostasy, or if you want a modern word for that, deconstruct their faith. So really, we ought not to be surprised when certain individuals do so. I also have to say that deconstruction, especially in America, has become something of the thing to do. And if you're going to do it, do it on social media. That's the preferred platform. You don't do it quietly in a corner. You declare to the world on social media that I've abandoned my faith, or that I've embraced progressive Christianity. So there is a social contagion in operation here, especially amongst the younger cohort of the adult population. 
It fits with the cultural moment where individual life choices, pluralism, and the relativizing of truth are all now celebrated and where tradition and conservative values, biblical values, are under attack. So yes, it's sad, and sometimes it can be very disconcerting, but let's not legitimize relativistic culture by affirming those who deconstruct for whatever reason. So we come now to the second part of our task. How can we twist this round from uh, being an objection to faith in Christ that many in our world uh, hold today and seek to make it a signpost to saving faith in Jesus? So this time I have four points. Number one, this is not my truth. It is God's truth. The Bible claims to be the inspired word of God. And it presents Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, verse 6. Jesus spoke the truth because he is the truth. Jesus perfectly reveals God to man. And he represents the sole root of salvation. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14 verse 6 again. Jesus is the only name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Acts 4 verse 12. Jesus was making the most mighty absolutist truth claims there. There is absolutely no room for relativism there. Either you believe in Christ and are saved, or you don't believe in Christ and are lost. No middle ground is permitted. None is in sight. And the Bible has, given, has been given so that men and women, so that you might come to know him who is the truth. Listen to the Apostle John who gives the rationale for his gospel record of you know, Jesus' words and actions as this. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John 20, verse 31. And the apostle Peter assures us that, he and his, that what he and his fellow apostles recorded for us, represents the truth. This is what he says in 1 Peter 1, verse 16. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his glory. What the Bible has recorded of Jesus is not the speculations of men, whether they be sincere or whether they were deceivers, conspirators. But it is the very truth of God. It is what God has to say to you, to us. Number two, I would ask you to be honest with yourself. What is the real reason why you are prepared to dismiss the claims of Christianity as being the mere, as being mere opinion? 
the opinion of others. Perhaps you have investigated the truth claims of the Christian faith, genuinely investigated them, and you have reached a reasoned conclusion. But maybe you haven't. Maybe you're in the category of persons I alluded to in my introduction who have just casually dismissed the claims of Christ as you don't want to be accountable for your life choices. Or perhaps you have dismissed the claims, the case for Christ, without ever having seriously interacted with the documentary evidence. Or maybe you have been very quick to absorb the narratives of today's culture in respect of relativistic truth and lived experience. If this be so, and again I would urge you to be honest with yourself, then would it not be wise to conduct an open investigation of the Bible's claims before you cement any conclusion that Christianity is just a matter of personal opinion? Thirdly, I want to emphasize that you cannot afford to treat the absolute claims, the absolute truth claims of Jesus and of Christianity lightly. Let me give you a, a sort of a, a, um, an, ex- an example to illustrate this. This will mean something to those of you who are into the glorious game of, of soccer, of football. Um, those of you may, who are not into it, I think you'll still get my point, okay? You might well believe with all your mind and heart that the Arsenal side that won the Premier League in 2003-4 without losing a single match, the so-called Invincibles, that that is the best team in Premier League history. That is your truth, if you like. And someone else might believe with all their heart and mind that the Manchester City team that won the Premier League in 2017-18 with 100 points, the only team so far to hit treble points, that that was the best team in Premier League history. That is their truth. Both you and the other individual can cite evidence to back up your position. Sadly, it would only be a fantasist who would make any such claim for a Tottenham Hotspur team in the Premier League era. We can't even beat Bournemouth at home. But the serious point is that it actually doesn't matter. It doesn't ultimately matter. Whether it's the Arsenal team or the Man City team or another team, it's of no eternal significance. Nothing of eternal significance is at stake. But when it comes to the claims of Christ to be the Savior and the only Savior of sinners, that is of, it is of infinite importance what you believe, what your truth is, for on that belief rests your eternal destiny. And fourthly, I would wish to assure you That if you are sincere in wanting to discover the truth, God is waiting to reveal himself to you. He does so in the beauty of his natural creation, the mountains, the lakes, etc. 
He does so in the human conscience. Where did your capacity to feel guilt or to recognize wrongdoing in others come from if it wasn't from God himself? He does so in his written word, the Bible, and he does so supremely so in the person and work of Jesus, his precious son. But another thing, God has sent the Holy Spirit into this world to bring conviction of truth. Jesus spoke of when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And note that he will guide you into all truth. That's the truth. That's not some sort of subjective relativistic truth. Now, admittedly, Jesus said those words to those who were already his followers, his disciples. But just prior to speaking those words, he had spoken of how the Spirit would bring conviction of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, John 16, verse 8. That was said for the benefit of people who didn't yet know or acknowledge the truth. So Jesus is promising that the Spirit will bring conviction. So my challenge to you is to seek the Lord with all your heart. And on the authority of God's word, I promise you that he is waiting to be found by you. Jeremiah 29 verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So to conclude, if Christianity were just the opinion of men, then I would actually readily concur with my opponent. I would agree, just take it or leave it as you wish. If it doesn't feel right to you, just reject it. But it isn't just the opinion of some men. It is God's message to man. It is the truth. And to unthinkingly dismiss it as simply one opinion in a morass of opinions is not only foolish, it is fatal. For it is only by embracing the Christian gospel that you will receive forgiveness for your sins and come to enjoy the immeasurably great gift of eternal life. And for a Christian believer to tell you that this is the truth, that it's the absolute truth, is not intellectual fascism or oppression. It's an act of love born out of concern for your eternal destiny. That's your truth. Please don't fall for this cultural lie. Christianity lines up with objective reality. Jesus is the truth. So please make sure that your understanding of truth is consistent with his. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.